0: If you enjoy this show, you will enjoy the new novel Alice Isn't Dead, a standalone, complete reimagining of this story. It's out now. Find it wherever you encounter books or at aliceisn'tdead.com.
1: Near the Nevada border, I pulled the truck to the side of the road, cut the engine, left the AC on. It is so hot here. Opening the window feels like opening an oven to see if it's ready for bread. How it feels like you've been slapped in the face. Like that. You know, Alice. I'm staring at my hands. They're just my hands like I've always had, but... Also, there is something of heaven to them because not that long ago they were touching your hands. How could they be ordinary hands and also hold that memory at the same time? Doesn't make sense. I can't drive while I tell this. Too much to say. I'm going to tell it all, Alice. Even the parts you know. I'm going to describe the shape of the monster that is devouring me. And then, I'm going to start this engine and leave that monster behind.
0: isn't dead by Joseph Fink, performed by Jessica Nicole, produced by Disparition. Part 1, Chapter 10, Thistle.
1: There's something out here in the desert by the road. That wasn't descriptive, I know, but man, I don't know what it is. It looks like... Well, you know that evil tower in Lord of the Rings? It looks like a bunch of those. And all around the towers are these discs or something reflecting the sun up at the towers. Light so bright it's almost heat. You feel warmed just looking at it. What is this thing? It goes on for miles. The towers and these fields of heat and light... It's the kind of thing we always assume the government has stashed away somewhere in the great empty of the southwest, but here it is, right by the highway. For everyone going hopped up and hopeful to Vegas or returning exhausted and disappointed to see. America has weird things in it. It has so many miles, so much space to put the weirdness in. Alice, is that you? I don't know why I asked that, but it was you, and the surprise of that seemed to justify the question. You smiled. You looked like you always had, except a little older. Like I looked a little older, incrementally, the way we never notice until we do. It's me, Keisha, you said. Keisha now, is it, he said. It was always nicknames before with you. Who calls their wife by their actual name, right? You smiled. Boring people, that's who. (sighs) Well, I guess if nothing else, you weren't boring, I said. You took my hand and we paused there. My instinct was to enfold you, to bury myself in your neck, which was always the part that smelled most of you. But it had been a long time and both of us just let it linger at our hands. I'm sorry, chipmunk, you said. Hmm. Keisha is fine for now, I said. You took my other hand, turning me to face you. I'm sorry. This wasn't about you at all. That's not why I left. A higher calling, I asked. A lower one, I guess, you said. The lowest, darkest places. You know. You've seen them. And you left to try to fix whatever this all is. To help fix it. Keisha, Chipmunk, the world is teetering. I'm trying to keep it sliding the right direction. Either way, a huge and terrible change is coming. But if it slides too far toward them, you gestured with your eyes at the Thistle Gates, then it's all over for people like us. People in love. People who feel. Speaking of which, I am about to crash this truck into that town. They'll kill you, you said. Maybe. Chipmunk, they will kill you to an extent you didn't know a person could be killed. I don't suppose I have the moral standing to tell you not to do this, but really, don't do this. You don't know how dangerous they can be. Oh, Alice, I said. I know. I know. I know. Okay then, you said. And then you pulled me toward you. You were the one who did that. Buried your face in my neck and breathed in. Keisha, I love you. I am your wife and you are my wife and I want to be with you forever. But you pulled yourself back up. Forever can't start yet. And in the meantime, you can't keep looking for me. (sighs) Can't go home either, I said. I tried that. I know, you said. I know, and I don't know what to do about that. But I need to be out where I am, doing what I'm doing. I need to stay lost for a while. You have to respect that. You have to respect me enough not to look for me. My heart beat differently just being near you, just touching, just briefly. Take me with you. Let's do this together. I can help. Even as I said it, I knew that it was impossible, and so I didn't even feel disappointed when you shook your head. You're right, I said. I haven't respected you. What you did, disappearing, it was inexcusable. But so was my chasing after you like this, in a lot of ways. Two inexcusable women, you said. That's us. You were crying. I realized I was too. Had been since I saw you. Someday I will come back, if you let me, you said. And we will live out the rest of our lives. I promise that. I promise that. In the meantime... In the meantime, I said, stop looking. Yeah, you said. Yes. I'm sorry. We didn't say anything for a while. Then we kissed. My whole world focused down to that point of contact. Colors dimmed. I only smelled you. could have been forever like that, and I would have been satisfied. But then it was over. Soon, you said. Soon. And I guess I can only say again, please don't do this. I am driving through those gates as soon as you step out of this truck. I love you, Keisha, you said. I love you. I love you. I love you, Alice. And then you were gone. My hands were shaking. I looked at the gate with its sign that said, Thistle. Around me was the vibration of the engine and the weight of the truck. All mass and potential energy. I touched my foot to the gas, not pushing down yet. I reached into my bag, did the one bit of preparation I had had time to think about. I let myself breathe a few more times. Felt the air go in, and out, enjoying those moments in which that was still possible. My skin was damp now. I thought of what I would do once I had crashed through the gate and my mind was a blank. I had no plan at all. I hit the gas. I wonder if the weirdness of this emptiness is specific to the American experience. like. Are our prairies and deserts special somehow in their distance, and is that why so much of the unreal crops up around them? Or is there just as much weirdness in, say, the arctic desert of North Canada? Do they see lights in the sky too, or just us? Do they drive that emptiness back and forth, like it was a page of words that could be deciphered if just gone over enough? Or do they leave that emptiness well enough alone? cars slow as they pass whatever these towers and fields of light are, wondering, wondering, probably reaching for their phone, finding out the answer. I'm not going to, though. Not everything has to be known. I wish you could see this the landscape and these menacing towers, like the set of a movie about the end of the world. But the world's not ending. It's just going through a transformation so vast and thorough that it is indistinguishable from ending to the humans living on it. A sound like the yelp of a strange animal and the gate tore off and I rolled into town. There were so many of those men with their ill-fitting skin and yellow polo shirts. Hundreds, maybe. I plowed through them, and they went flying, landing at horrible angles before I had to brake to avoid crashing into the gas station. The explosion might have taken out a lot of them, but I needed to be alive to see this through, to make sure that none of this was left when I went. The mob surrounded the cab, sneering, one who had been hit limped toward me. The skin of his face had been torn off by the collision, and underneath was a mealy yellow fat dripping down over his chin. There was no sign of bone. I considered my next move. My whole body glistened. I couldn't smell the town, fortunately, but I could imagine a smell like tilled earth, like green things. A whole glob of the yellow fat fell from the injured man's face and landed on the ground where he slipped on it. He laughed, a choked, broken sound. All of the buildings in the town were covered with a thin film of oil. The whole town looked sticky to the touch. Tied to a streetlight near the gas station was one of the men, like all the others. He leaned into the ropes that bound him. "'Get her!' he croaked. His whole body was covered in knife wounds, but his eyes were alive and focused." "'Get her!' "'He bled mildew and must into the ropes. "'The crowd parted. "'And him, the original him, the thistle man, the hungry man, "'he walked stiffly up to the door of my cab. "'Oh, you can get out,' he said. "'None of us are going to hurt you right away, "'and you aren't any safer in there.' "'He was right.' I opened the door. It took a couple tries because my hands were so slippery, but I made it. Look at you, he said, sweating like a lost child, exhausted from running around searching for his mother. What a weird metaphor, I said. You're nervous, he said. I'm always nervous, I said. I wiped my forehead to keep my eyes clear. Welcome to my home, he said. We didn't know you were coming or we would have prepared better. What is this place, I asked. Not that it matters. Not that it's anything but a wound that must be sewn shut. But you know, the longer I keep talking, the longer before you attack me. That's a complicated story, and I'm not much for talking. Not like you. Oh, Alice. Hi, Alice. It's me, Alice. His voice was like the accidental hollowing of the wind. The other thistlemen had backed up, formed a circle around us, leaving the two of us alone in the center. I was his mess to handle, and he was ready to clean me up. You're serial killers, I said. We're freedom, he said. Freedom can be good or bad. There can be terrible freedom. He grinned. His teeth were faintly green. We are the terrible freedom. You're murderers, I said. America he said, a country defined as much by distance as culture. America embraces its distances. Empty spaces and road trips, but there is always a price. We are that price. We are creatures of the road. We feed on distance, on road trips, on emptiness. Bodies by the side of the highway... There was a sound, like applause, but softer. The crowd of thistlemen sucking in and out on their cheeks, creating a faint sound of flesh. "'Don't try to make poetry out of the blood on your hands,' I said. He took my arm. I don't know how he got that close, but he was there, and he did not grab. He took, like a dance partner, gentle but insistent, and then he pushed me up against the truck." His arm was against my throat. Fear branched out through me like lightning, starting from my gut and ending with the thunderclap in my head. But he couldn't do it. He couldn't push down and he was wincing, his face wrinkling in disgust. He stepped back, wiping at his arm. I gestured to my drenched face, neck, torso. Heather oil, I said, poured a few bottles right over my head tip from a friend. The thistle man growled and it sounded like a creature ten times his size. No human throat made that sound. You think that spell will protect you, he said. He slapped me. A world went white on one side and my left ear rang. It will hurt me, but it will hurt you more. I didn't respond with words. Instead, I reached out before he could realize I was moving. I grabbed his face, wrenched open his rotting, gummy mouth, and I shoved in a huge fistful of dried heather. I also brought this, I said. He choked, heaved, his skin turned purple as though his entire body was bruising, and I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it, Alice. He turned and ran. Other monsters around me froze. Didn't seem to know what to do. The tied up one, a thick glop oozing from the wounds all over his skin, just moved his mouth like a fish, a faint sound like. F-f-f-f. I did the only thing I could do. In the moment that they were frozen, I took off after the thistle man. The only way out is through. As soon as I started moving, the others moved too. I broke through a gap in their circle, but I could hear the off-kilter rhythm of their running and the thick, moist gasps of exertion from all around me. I just stayed with the thistle man, just followed the thistle man. I chased him into a diner. The burgers and more. The inside of the diner was full of rotting food. Milkshakes and hamburgers, covered in mold and maggots. I was glad for the heather oil all over my face, but still the smell was there. Only the glasses of soda, watery with melted ice, still looked like what they were unable to age, unable to rot. The thistle man was already in the kitchen, headed for the back door, but I saw an opportunity the walk in cooler. I put the last of my energy into a sprint and crashed into him as he made for the back, sending both of us sprawling into the cooler. I slammed the door and pushed one of the low, heavy shelves in front of it. He flopped around on the ground, spitting out Heather, his skin still an angry purple. After the heat of the night air outside, the walk-in felt like constant pinpricks. It focused me, like sobering up from a long night of drinking. I turned to check the door, and when I turned back, he was on his feet. "'Well,' he said. "'Well, that bought you some time, didn't it? I wasn't expecting that. You got me to panic, got me to run. But what now? What's next?' His skin blotched back from purple to the faint yellow. He stretched and flexed, and I could see his strength returning. The walk-in was smaller than it had originally looked. I could hear hands pawing on the outside of the door and on the walls on both sides. You got me to run, but then what? What weapon do you have to finish the job, he said. He spread his hands expectantly. Nothing, I said. Nothing, he said. I brought nothing. I brought myself. I'm going to kill you. He laughed, the deep laugh at the end of a good joke. You're going to kill me. (laughs) Oh, Keisha. "'Let me explain death to you,' he said, and then he came at me. "'Alice, I've never been so afraid, and that's saying a lot after the year I've had, "'after the things I've seen. "'I felt terror in every part of me. "'It froze up my limbs, locked up my joints, "'made my thoughts both too slow for planning and too fast to follow. "'I wasn't a person anymore, just a container for my fear.' I thought about you, Alice. About when I thought you were dead, and when I knew you weren't. I thought about Earl dying alone as decent people ate waffles not ten feet away. I thought of a father in a Target parking lot calling the police under the belief that this would help. I thought of a factory by the sea. I thought of a line of names. A murderer's legacy on an ugly stretch of highway. I thought of a young girl doing her best and just how good her best was. I thought of a bus pulling out of Victorville in the middle of the night. I thought of home. I thought of Sylvia. I thought of you. And through all of these thoughts, a buzzing anxiety. Anxiety like electricity. And I knew, in that moment, that anxiety is just an energy. It is an uncontrollable, near-infinite energy surging within me, and for once, I stopped trying to contain it. I told my heart, beat faster. I told my panic breath, become more difficult. And I told my fear to overtake me. Make me more afraid. I am not afraid of feeling afraid. Make me more afraid. All of that energy, I turned it outward. I pushed it into my arms, my legs, my teeth. Fuck the thistle man. When he hit me, I hit back. He was stronger than I remembered. It was like being hit by a car. Mass without pity, just brutal physics but I was hitting too, pounding at his face, his chest, biting, throwing myself into him. I didn't feel pain. I was so full of fear that there wasn't any room for anything else. I fought using every wave of terror inside of me. The thistle man laughed when I hit him and he kept punching as thoughtless and inhuman as a rock slide on a highway, but I kept hitting too and he stopped laughing. I clawed at his face, and his skin started to go, and that yellow fat oozed out. He grunted, growled, flailed at me. He was no longer toying with me. He wanted to destroy me, but I stayed on my feet. I tore at him with the last of myself, and finally, he was the one that fell. His teeth mashed into his cheek, shouting incoherently. I went knees first into his chest. I hit and hit and hit... He was dead. I had done it. I had won. Adrenaline pounded through me. I couldn't turn off the energy I had found in myself, and I was in pretty bad shape. Bruises, probably a broken rib, definitely broken teeth. But the thistle man lay there, his head a pile of fat and pulp that smelled like mushrooms. I threw up, half on the floor and half on his body. It was horrible but I felt victory like I hadn't felt in years. With my own hands, I had ended this. I had fucking won. There was a tapping at the door, a soft scratching on the walls, and I remembered that I had only killed one of them. I was surrounded by hundreds more. Let us in. Let us in, a ragged voice sang every note in discord with the note before. A skittering on the ceiling like an enormous spider. The lights went out. In the darkness, I could hear moaning and whispering from the walls. A voice I recognized as that of the stabbed man, sounding like it was in my ear. Then a new sound. I felt it in my stomach first, a bass tone that hadn't been there before. Gradually it slid from my stomach to my ears, becoming audible. Engines. Many engines. The sound became clear. Car engines, and then gunshots. The whispering stopped. There was scrambling on the walls like a dog slipping on hardwood. Then nothing, nothing but myself and the darkness of the walk-in. The door burst open, knocking over the shelf, holding it shut. A square of light with a figure in it. Gradually, I understood the shape as a woman holding a battering ram, a rifle slung over her shoulder. I'd never seen this woman before. She looked past me at the body on the floor. Holy shit, she said. She looked at me again, closely, with something between awe and suspicion. She clicked on her radio. You're not going to believe this, she said, but Vector H is down. There was a general sound of disbelief or excitement from the radio, but she clicked it off before it could be understood as words. Come on out. Those things have run for now, she said, gesturing but not touching me. She seemed to want to give me distance. She glanced again at the thistle man, the hungry man, the corpse. She gestured me through the rotting diner and out onto the streets. They were full of armored vehicles, women and men in uniforms sweeping the houses. But the uniforms did not look like any military I knew. Navy blue jumpsuits with some sort of logo on the chest. "'Who are you all?' I asked the woman. "'You did a very good thing today, Keisha. A very good thing.' She shook her head. "'Maybe an amazing thing, but now it's time for you to leave.' "'Who do you work for?' I asked. "'Who do you work for?' she said. She was wearing one of the jumpsuits, too. I looked at the logo more closely. Bay and Creek Shipping. The same logo as the door of my cab. What? I said. It was the only thing I could think to say, so I said it again. What? You're lucky Alice called us. We have a new truck for you. It's parked outside the wall. This one is... well, it's a write-off. Got in a bad accident with the gate, but we won't take it from your paycheck. I didn't know what to say to that. I stood there, feeling like a drained battery. Keisha, listen, she said. They ran when they saw us coming, but they won't be gone for long. It's truly incredible that you handled one of them. It really is, but you need to go before the rest come back. She was right. I let her lead me to the truck. It looked just like my old one, except, of course, none of my stuff was in it. All of my books, lost in a wreck in a secret town on a U.S. government airbase. "'Goodbye, Keisha,' the woman said as I climbed into the cab, slowly and with some difficulty because of the injuries. "'You'll hear from us again, I'm sure. Until then,' she thought for a moment, shrugged and said, "'I don't know.' I guess just keep doing what you've been doing. It's kept you alive this far. A few hours later, got another dispatch from Bay and Creek. Like nothing had happened. Like they were just a trucking company, going everywhere that good businesses need transportation services. Driving over many creeks, not by that many bays. Mostly land. Mostly lots of land. They want me to go to a distribution center in Vegas to pick up my next delivery. Pallets and pallets of paper towels. Which brings me to this strange spot near the Nevada border. I'm not going to look for you, Alice. I will let you be lost until that moment that you want to be found. But I'm not done. I know now that the anxiety within me is also unbelievable strength. And I can feel it now. That energy. So, new plan. I'm going to find out what the Hell Bay and Creek shipping actually is, and why they have a secret army that would make the Thistle Men run at just the side of them. What is this company that I work for? I'm going to find out. And in the meantime, I'm going to pick up a load of paper towels, and I'm going to drive them somewhere else and people are going to buy them and put them out on the counter and distractedly wipe one hand against a piece and then throw it away. Which is to say that I'm going to keep moving. I'm pulling back onto the highway now. The field of light and the black towers receding in the mirrors. Closer than they appear, but farther and farther away. The light from the panels as white as bone white as heat it's the height none of us are used to being this height anymore it's the engine the sound of it the noise of a truck this size it's the height i love it i love it so much what is bay and creek i don't know yet not yet but i will All I know for now is that this isn't the end of my story. This isn't the end of my road trip.
0: Right, right. I mean, you haven't even heard from me yet. So, there is a love story that happened behind the scenes of Welcome to Night Vale between me, Joseph Fink, and Meg Bashminer, voice of the Night Vale credits and MC and tour manager for the live Night Vale show. In this memoir, we recount the first 10 years of our relationship, year by year, without consulting each other beforehand. It's a funny and romantic story about how differently we experience and remember our lives. Then, on July 20th, the Halloween moon my first ever novel for ages 10 and up. Esther Gold loves Halloween, until the year that Halloween night just won't end. Even she doesn't want Halloween to last forever. No matter your age, if you're a fan of Alice Isn't Dead, I think you're going to love this book. Get these books wherever you get your books. And now, why did the chicken cross the road? To get to the other side. Sometimes that's all it is. Thank you so much for listening.
2: This has been a production of Night Vale Presents. Find out more about us and our shows at nightvalepresents.com. Hello, iPod broadcast listeners. My name is Meg, and I am one of the esteemed tri-hosts of the beloved iBroad Good Morning Night Vale. And we've heard from listeners like you about queer representation, Night Veil vale named pets, major theories, minor questions, and of course, best and worst practices for um, alternative spa therapy services. If you know, you know. Check out Good Morning Night Vale every other Thursday, wherever you get your eye broads, eye casts, iCasts, PodBrods, and Podcasts. I think I like podbroads the best. I'm a real PodBrod myself. From P.